Uh, well, good morning. As always, great to see everyone here today. You know, it's hard to believe that this is Thanksgiving week, is it, is it not? Like, I mean, my goodness, I can't believe it's already here. And it seems like, I don't know about you, but I think a lot of people feel like um, Thanksgiving is kind of the John the Baptist of holidays. You know what I mean? It, it's just the, uh, the precursor or uh, the, 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 the one that's there to, to pave the way for something greater that's coming, right? Uh, do you guys feel that way too? Like we just kind of go right through Thanksgiving just to get to Christmas. In fact, just by showing of hands, how many of you wait until after Thanksgiving to do any Christmas decorations? Look at you righteous people. Very good. Okay. Um, how many of you, Christy, feel that as soon as Halloween is over, meaning the, the last candy bar is gone and the lights are off, it's fair game to decorate? Okay, you got company. You got company. Okay, all right, all right, very good. Yeah, I, it, it is. I mean, for so many, you know, it's just like uh, we just kind of pass over it because we're so looking forward to Christmas, right? But, uh, but I do, we want to take time today to just, just pause. Um, and to give thanks. And certainly Terry's no, uh, yeah, I mean, look at this. We, we've got decorations already out. We're singing Christmas uh, tonight, you know, so I've got that concert also. Uh, but we want to take an opportunity this morning just to, to pause, uh, to give thanks. You know, in uh, last week we were in First John. And in First John, I said at the closing uh, of that small epistle, he kind of wrapped it all up and he gave us uh, several different confidences that we have in being a believer, a follower in Christ, different things we can be confident in, confident in our salvation, confident. But one of the great things I said was we can be confident, and John said, that God hears our prayers, that he hears our prayers. We can be confident and know that. And I couldn't help, but here we are on, on the cusp of Thanksgiving, be reminded of a story of a family that uh, they kind of had this same routine, this young family that um, mom would, would slave in the kitchen all day, you know, and, and when it became dinner time, uh, everybody would gather around the table and as she would bring, begin to bring the food out, the dad had this horrible habit of complaining about the food. I mean, it started the moment he entered the, uh, the, the seating area and he would continue those complaints uh, as everything came out, as the people were seated. Uh, I mean, it's just one case, you know, it's too hot, it's too cold, it's going to be too salty, there's probably not enough salt, I wish you had made this, why are we eating that? You know, it was just, that was just his thing. He would just complain up until the last person was served and then they would stop and he would give thanks, Right? And so one day after this routine of, you know, all the uh, complaints that led into his Thanksgiving, after they had said amen, his little daughter looked up to him and said, Daddy, does God hear us when we pray? He said, well, of course he, he hears us when we pray. First John tells us that and gives us that confidence that God hears us when we pray. She paused and began to think for a minute and she said, uh, does God hear everything else we say all the rest of the time? And the dad, of course, uh, kind of excited that, it, that he's having this interaction about prayer with his daughter. He said, yes, dear, he's God. He hears everything that we say. And he, he began kind of uh, thinking, man, what a great parent he was that he's led his daughter by, by uh, exemplifying prayer over and over and how she's asking this question and they're engaged in this, uh, this spiritual conversation. And, and he's kind of gloating of what a great father he is, what a great example and spiritual leader. She interrupts his thought and says, then daddy, which ones does God believe? <laughs> yeah, 
I think sometimes at Thanksgiving, we kind of do that too. Like we just live like rah, complaining about everything and seeing the, the bad and everything. And, and then we come to Thanksgiving, it's okay, now let's in this moment, let's give thanks to God. You know, but Thanksgiving is not just a time for us to, uh, to, to cease complaining in order to throw some kind of token thanks to God in the moment, but it's a time for us as believers to, to come together, to, to be reminded how much that we have to be thankful for. In good times and in bad, in all times, we can be thankful. We can be thankful in the times that God allows us to hurt because he's also there to give us comfort. We can be thankful in the times that God allows us to cry because he's there to wipe away every tear. We can be thankful in the times that God allows us to fall down because he's always there to lift us up. You know, we can be thankful always, in good times and in bad, because at all times, God's there. In all circumstances, we can give thanks. You know, we find ourselves in week 47 of 51. That's right, we're, we're, we're almost there, right? We've done so well. Now, I can't tell you how many uh, different um, uh, emails or, or texts or things that I've received from people that say, man, how just reading through the Word together has, has inspired them and, and has been so good for them. And, and many who said, you know, I've never actually completely read through the New Testament. I'm so excited about finishing. And, and we're 47 of 51, so don't give up now, right? Hang in there. In fact, this week, you've got an interesting uh, reading plan. Uh, in this, on Monday, you'll read the last chapter of 1 John, right? 1 John chapter 5. Then on Tuesday, you'll read 2 John. On Wednesday, you'll read 3 John. On Thursday, you'll read Jude. And on Friday, you'll read the first chapter of Revelation. You say, my goodness, that's a lot of reading, isn't it? Not really. <laughs> it's really no different than, than the rest of our weeks and our reading plans. Second and third John are actually the shortest of all the epistles in the entire New Testament, which is why you rarely hear sermons preached from second or third John, right? First John, but, but not second or third, because they're so short. In fact, uh, each uh, have less than 300 words in them, no chapters, just this single little, it's an epistle, it is a letter, it's one of the general epistles, but really, it's more like a postcard. You, you know what I mean? It's, they're, they're that short, or to put it in today's vernacular, it's like a long text, right? Not really a letter, but just a long text. And you, and you know how, I don't know about you, you've got people that text like a couple words, maybe an emoji or something, uh, or, or sometimes both, right? Um, and I'm kind of a short texter too, maybe a, a sentence or two, and I'm such a bad texter. Like, I'll text two sentences to someone, three days later to look at my phone, and it, what in the world, like typos, and I'm, I'm a horrible texter. I, I just really am. So if I've texted you something that it didn't make sense, well, I, I, that, that's me, right? But then there are, there, we've all got these people that text us long text. You know what I'm talking about? Do, do y'all get those two or is that just the preacher, right? Like you, you oh, I got a text, and then you scroll. You know, just to get my good, you know, I was like, look at this. <laughs> like you got to show someone. I, I'm impressed. Like people can text that much. Well, that's kind of what um, second and third John are. They're just kind of those, those postcards or those long texts uh, compared to an entire letter. It's interesting. Both of them end with the exact same saying where, where, where John writes. He says, listen, I have a lot more to say about this, what he had spoke to in the letters. 
but I really, I, I'll do it face to face, right? I, I, I wanted, there's so much more I want to say, but, I, but I'm going to come see you, and I, and I want to do it face to face. He ends both of his letters that way. Uh, also, in these letters, just as we said in 1 John, John does not name himself as the writer. Uh, we know that it was John, though, because the letters, as they went out, as they were distributed at that time, it was common knowledge in that day that they were from John, and that has passed down through the centuries and through to us today. So we know that they were written by John, but just like in his gospel account and first, second, and third John, he does not identify himself specifically. Only in Revelation does he do that. But it is John the apostle who is the writer. It's also interesting, in 2 John, he opens this little letter, this little uh, postcard, if you will, and he says he is writing to a lady. But in 3 John, he is writing to a man by the name of Gaius, right? And you say, well, wait a minute. Didn't you a week or so ago say that general epistles meant it was to a general audience and not specific? I said, well, that, that, that is part of it. That, that is correct. But also, remember, the general epistles mean that they were not written by Paul as the Pauline epistles were. So they, they are general, and they had a general audience with which both 2nd and 3rd John do. So they are part of the general epistles, even though we're given some direction as to who they are written to. So with that said, we're going to look this morning at 2nd John the first six verses, there are no chapters, so the first six verses of Second John, which is nearly half of the entire book. He writes this, he, he opens up, and you can find that in the church app this morning or turning in your Bibles. Just go nearly to the end of your Bible and then come back a little bit and you'll be there, right? Uh, but Second John, first six verses, he says, the elder. Now, I'm going to pause. I just got started. I got two words in. I'm already stopping, right? Uh, but that's where John is identifying himself, not by name, but as an elder of the church of Jesus Christ, right? The elder. That's who it was written from. And he's going to get into the rest of it. The elder. To the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. Now, let me pause there in our reading about halfway. And he opens up and he says who this letter is going to. And it says, the, this lady and her children. Now, there's a lot of debate about exactly who the recipient is, which is another reason it falls into a general epistle. Some believe the lady is actually that. It is a lady in a church that, that, that John knew he was acquainted with, that was obviously a leader in the church. Others believe that lady actually references the church, the local church itself, and the children are not a specific lady's children, but the members of that church. And in fact, throughout the New Testament, you'll find where the church is always referenced in the feminine way. Why? Because the church is the bride of Christ. So it was not uncommon to be referred to as a bride or, or as a lady, right? And, and as these letters went out, sometimes they would do so discreetly. So if someone from Rome were to intercept the letter, they wouldn't know exactly who it was written to. So I say all that to say this, it could go either way. In fact, Bible scholars are really split right down the middle on this one. Uh, some believe without a doubt, it's a specific lady. We don't know who, but we know she's out there, right? Or she was at the time. Others, completely convinced, no, it's absolutely the church, and they'll flesh that out. Where do I stand on this one? You know, you can't be certain. You, you just can't on this one. I lean more towards he was writing to a church and referencing the church and its members as the lady and her children. That's where I lean. But, but here's the thing. It doesn't really matter whether he was talking specifically about an individual lady uh, or referencing a church in that way. It doesn't change the text one iota. 
Not a bit. Not at all. It doesn't change the theology. It doesn't change anything he's speaking. Either it was written to a specific lady who then shared it with her church, which shared it with the other churches, or it was given to a church that shared it with their church and shared it with the other churches. Either way, it's the same information, and it was eventually going to the same people. So we can't be certain on that one. But also we see uh, where John opens not only 2 John here, but also 3 John, just as I said he closes with the same statement, he also opens both letters the same. In one written to a lady and another to this man Gaius, but he says this, whom I love in the truth. In both letters, these whom I love, whether it was an individual lady, whether it was a church, as believers who I love in the truth, and Gaius and his family and those others that he uh, 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 speaks into in Third John, who I love in the truth. And so what we see kind of played out and what we're going to spend our time today is how John takes these two ideas, both love and truth, and says, really, in Christ, they are one, right? All believers have that in common. All believers, truth is something that all believers have in common. If you have understood the gospel, you have received the truth, and as brothers and sisters, as different as we may be, we come to common ground at the cross of Jesus Christ in his truth for salvation. And John says, not only that, there's something else we share, not only in knowing the truth, he says, but also the fruit of the truth. You see what he says? John says that the fruit of the truth is this, grace, mercy, and peace. He says, when we receive the truth as believers, we have those, those gifts, that, that, that fruit of grace, mercy, and peace. You know, grace and, and mercy simply stated just uh, getting what you don't deserve and not getting what you do deserve. Grace is just that. The, the, the ultimate grace is the fact that God allows us entrance through a relationship with Jesus Christ into his kingdom. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it, but we are saved, what church? By grace. By his grace, we can have it. Now, mercy, on the other hand, says the truth is what we deserve is an eternal separation from God and a lifetime and eternity in hell. But as believers, when we receive the truth by his mercy, by his mercy, we are saved. So grace, getting what you don't deserve. Mercy, not getting what you truly do deserve. And he says, then ultimately, we all have peace. We can all have peace knowing that regardless of what's happening in your life right now, regardless of, of where your circumstances are personally, you know as a believer that you have God's grace and God's mercy. So wherever you are right now, you can find peace in his truth. Amen? One amen. Amen? All right, let's keep reading. Verse 4. He says, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, in keeping with a command we have received from the Father. So now I ask you, dear lady, a lady or the church, now I ask you, dear lady, not as if I were writing to you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love that we walk according to his commands. And this is the command, as you have heard it from the beginning, that you walk in love. John says that, that, that his thanksgiving, his personal thanksgiving, what he thanks God for, not, not only is for his relationship with Christ, but also to find that believers are walking in truth. In fact, in 3 John verse 4, he says this, I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children are walking in truth. 
John the elder, John the pastor, John the evangelist, John the, uh, the friend and disciple of Jesus Christ. The greatest joy for me, one of the greatest joys in this life is knowing that believers are walking in truth. And so in all three of his letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he, he kind of continues to just tease that out in speaking about truth and love and how they're all tied together in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, John spent time with Jesus. He knew Jesus. He was at the cross we looked at last week with Jesus, with, with Mary. John knew Jesus in, in an intimate way that, that as few others ever did or ever could. And he said this, he said, and what I know is Jesus is the embodiment of truth and of love. In 1 John 2, 4, he said this, the one who says, I have come to know him, talking about Jesus, and yet doesn't keep his commands, he's a liar. And the truth is not in him. What truth? The truth of the gospel, his salvation, it's not in him. He went on in chapter 4 of 1 John, verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed to us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And now here in 2 John, he reminds us, reminds her, that this church or this lady, that the truth and love are inseparable. You can't have one without the other. In fact, to forego one is to forego the others. They're two in one. Right? I, I can tell my wife all day long, I love you, right? But if I don't show her that I love her, it's meaningless. Amen? Hey, when I take out the trash, that's when I'm showing her <laughs> that I love her. We, uh, love has actions just to, to say the words, to know the words and believe them, but, but to do them. We're called to, to walk in the truth and exercise that love. What, what are the four questions I say? Remember, as, as we're reading through the scriptures, what was God saying then? What's God saying now? Then what are the next two, three, and four? What does God want me to know? What knowledge does God want me to have? And what does God want me to do? What will my action be based on the knowledge that I have? Those are the four questions we ask every time. Why? Because knowledge of truth always leads to love expressed. The more you know, the more you do. The more you know, the more you love. Right? The more I learn about Jesus, the, 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 the older I get, the, the closer I draw to him, the more I want to express my love for him and for the church and for those that he loved. Right? That, that's part of it. As you grow your love strengthens. Now, I was with someone recently who's been coming to church for, for, for a long time now and, and said, you know, as, as I'm reading through the Bible, uh, I think maybe the first time we've, we've really done that and kind of going through and, and being in the services. And she said, um, you know, I found myself doing some of the strangest things, just these, these acts of kindness. Like, like doing these, I never did that before. Like, and all of a sudden I find myself doing things for other people, people I don't even know. And she, and she said, man, isn't that bizarre? No. <laughs> Why? Because the more knowledge you have, the, the more you understand of God's word, of God's love for us, the more you understand of who Jesus is, the more you'll exercise his love. John said in chapter 13, he was uh, reciting Jesus. These are the words of Christ. And certainly he was drawing on that. Jesus said this in John 13, 34, I give you a new command. 
love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Jesus says, hey, live your life in such a way that you're weird in the world. And they're going to see and say, man, look how that person loves. They must know Jesus. And isn't that the life, church, that we're called to live today? To live in such a way so bizarre from the world. They say, look at how he or she loves. Look at how that church loves. There's something special about them. It must be Jesus. See, if you know the truth. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you know the truth then you'll show God's love. See, when we, when we read God's word, the more we learn about him, the more we understand that imago Dei, the, the image of God, how that all people are created with the image of God, we'll have a new love for the people of this world. When we understand that, 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 that Jesus died so that anyone could be saved and so that everyone would be saved. When we understand that, when we gain that knowledge, then we'll look at our lost world through a different lens. To know that Jesus did that so that anybody could be saved is to love God and to love man. That's what Jesus did, and that's what we're called to do. Not just in word, but also, like the video we saw earlier, indeed, sharing the good news of Jesus and showing the good news of Jesus. And John said this, he says, he referenced that command. He said, remember the command that you've had from the beginning? And oh, by the way, it's still true today. What's he referring to? Now, some of that is just the knowledge of the truth of God. Did you see that word command? You, you have to be drawn to the Ten Commandments as well. The original commandments given to man. But notice here, it's singular. He doesn't say remember the commandments, but the command you heard from the beginning. Why would he say that? I believe because all Ten Commandments speak to the same thing, and that's love. That, that, that's what they're saying. Uh, the, the, the first four, how to love God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The first four commandments are this is how you love God. Five through ten, the, the next six, that's how you love man. Honor mother and father. Don't kill. <laughs> Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet your neighbor. These are the things. This is how we love man. All ten commandments summed up in this simply love. Love God, love man. Which is why Jesus was so quick. Do you remember when the Pharisees, they were, the Pharisees and Sadducees were always trying to trick Jesus. They were always trying to trap him every time they were around, right? And in Matthew chapter 22 was a time when they had come together. The Sadducees had asked a crazy question. Jesus just shut them down, silenced them, right? And so the Pharisees came together because they thought they were a little smarter than the Sadducees anyway. Uh, and they said, all right, we, let's, we'll figure out a way. So they get the best of the best. They, they gather up. They've got their huddle, right? And they're coming up with their game plan. They break the huddle. We say, we've got it. And so they send out a man that was known as a, an expert in the law to ask Jesus a question. And he says this, teacher, which command in the law is the great. See what they were thinking. If he says one, we'll nail him. So you don't think the others are important. And if he doesn't, then we've stumped him and he can't be the son of God. Which commandment in the law is greatest? This expert asked. Jesus immediately responded, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. 
The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love man. And if you do that, you'll please God. And, and that's what having the truth will do. You'll desire to love God and you'll desire to love man. He continued, John did it in chapter 15, before Jesus would, would go to the cross, just shortly before, he was sharing with his disciples. And Jesus said this in John 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that in me, my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. Verse 12, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus was paving the way for what he was about to do on the cross. Jesus not only showed the disciples in his life what it meant to love this world and to love the Father, not only did he talk to them and teach them about what love and truth is, but Jesus gave the ultimate expression of love. He gave his life. He died on the cross. That's how much he loves you and me and everyone. This morning, we're going to share in a special time of communion, communion with a capital C. Every time we come together, we're in communion with a lowercase c. But we come to what is known as the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. It's a special time of communion. It's a picture of, of God's love for us. It's a picture of Jesus' devotion for the Father and his love to us. Now, if you have experience at other churches, some churches offer what is known as open communion, which simply means this, anyone is open to participate and partake in the time of communion. Other churches offer what is known as closed communion, which means this, only members of that local church are invited to participate. Here at Northside, we offer what is known as close communion. Meaning this, we believe, the Bible teaches, that communion is a time reserved for those who are already born again believers in Jesus Christ. And it's up to you then to decide and determine if you have trusted Jesus as your, as your Savior. If you are at a place where you will participate, that is not something we police. So you may choose to partake or you may choose just as a time of reflection, a time of prayer or a time of education for a child. But I want you to go ahead and take out the, the elements that you were given as you came in this morning. Now, let me say this. Corey referred to them as juice and cracker, I think, at the beginning. And truth is, they're a feeble attempt at us. This is not the body of Christ. This is not the blood of Christ, as some would say. This, friend, hear me well, this will not save you. Taking this today will, will not save you. Taking this today is a time when, we're remember, when we remember the only one who can save you, and that is Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 22, it says, When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the, and the disciples with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup, and after giving thanks, 
He said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus was about to go to the cross. Jesus had knowledge of everything that had taken place and would take place. And the Bible says, and yet when they met at this time, he gave thanks before the bread. He, he gave thanks before they shared in the wine or the juice. And you think, what would Jesus give thanks for? He knew Judas had just betrayed him. He knew what he was going off to do. He knew that he would be wrongfully accused and wrongfully rest, arrested. He knew that Peter was about to deny him, one of his closest allies. He knew that he would suffer greatly to be beaten and nailed to a cross. He knew that God would have to turn his head, his eyes from him on that cross. And he knew that he would be killed, murdered, and lay in the tomb. Knowing that, what can he possibly give thanks for? He knew the truth. He knew that all he was about to suffer was for you and for me. And he gave thanks to his father because he said, God, it's worth it. Church, you're worth it. Jesus, before he went to the cross, gave thanks. You know, Tim Keller has a great quote. He says, it's one thing to be grateful. It's another to give thanks. Gratitude is what you feel, but thanksgiving, thanksgiving is what you do. This reminds us Jesus did all he could for you. I want you to take just a moment, examine your life, your walk with the Lord. Have you trusted Jesus as Savior? Consider what he did for you. Take time to reflect on your walk with him. Take an opportunity, even right now, to give thanks. Thanks for, for all he has done. That night, Jesus, he took that bread. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take, eat. When he had finished, he took the juice that was there. And he said, now this... This, this is a new covenant. This is my blood which is poured out for many for the, forgiveness of, for the forgiveness of sin. Take, drink. Father, we love you. Lord, we acknowledge your love for us in this special time. God, may we now, as we acknowledge your love, may we leave this time, this place exercising your love for us and our love for others. It's in Jesus' name we pray.